Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. So there's one clear threat to our hearts that Jesus speaks about in Scripture. There are twice as many verses in the Bible about this one thing then there are about faith and prayer combined. Jesus spoke more about this thing than both heaven and hell. And he described it as the only thing other than God that seeks to sit on the throne of our hearts. And that thing is mammon. And, and, and the word mammon literally means God of riches. God of riches. Now, Mammon was a Syrian god, and his goal was to control people's lives through the love of money. And it's interesting because the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible speaking about the end times, says that the Antichrist will dominate the world, not through nuclear war, but by a spirit of mammon. The Antichrist will control our ability to buy and sell, and then we will kind of side with him, receiving the mark of the beast out of fear, and then he takes over our lives and destroys them. So the interesting thing is that the Greek preposition anti, when we speak about the antichrist, does not fundamentally mean against, but instead of. So the Antichrist is not just one who is against Jesus, but one who is a substitute for Christ. You see, money falsely promises us what only God can give us. Uh, he's standing there going, hey, listen, like, like, you know, you believe Jesus, like, will give you, like, security and stuff. Well, 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 if you invest with us now, you will have financial peace for the future. Money promises us what only God can give us, security, identity, happiness. And mammon wants to substitute Jesus on the throne of our hearts so it becomes our master, the master of our hearts. Christian author Randy Elkhorn wrote, Money makes a terrible master, yet it makes a good servant to those who have the right master, God. And this is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 13 of the New Testament, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And there is the word I spoke about, which is translated mammon. You can't serve both God and the God of riches. Now, let me be clear on this. Money is not evil in and of itself. In fact, I pray right now that this word that Desmond spoke about in the giving is prophetic. I actually felt it was in Joel 2 verse 25, where it says, the Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. I actually believe it's prophetic in this message. So let me be clear. I'm not saying money is evil in and of itself. It's actually a very powerful servant to the purposes of God. And there's a scripture in the Bible that 
we often, um, we often misquote in which we think it says, the, the Bible says money is evil. It doesn't say money is evil at all in the Bible. It says the love of money is at the root of all evil. It's when money begins mastering you that it's evil. <clears throat> when your first love is something other than God. You see, we are to love God and use money, but sometimes we end up loving money and using God. Let's pause for a moment. See, we want what God has to offer, but we're put off when anything concerning money is spoken about on a spiritual walk. No, 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 don't bring the two together. Whoa, 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 whoa. You see, we prefer to separate financial issues from our faith walk, but we can't because money is a heart issue, not a hand issue. <laughs> money is a heart issue, not a hand issue. That's why Proverbs chapter 4, 23 tells us, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Now, as Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, both God and money. He continues then in verse 21 saying this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your hands position your treasures, your heart will follow. So, here's a question we can ask ourselves. What does the position of my treasure say about the condition of my heart? Well, as a follower of Jesus, maybe we would say, how is my treasure positioned so that my heart is guarded? You see, sometimes an inner change of the heart starts with an outer expression of the hands. As theologian, author, and speaker Tim Keller explains, love is primarily giving it's an action that leads to a feeling, not a feeling first. First, you love somebody by serving them, and then you find that through service, you've come to love them. Sometimes the inner change of the heart starts with an outer expression of the hands. And just like God externally gave his best first to us in Jesus, so we give back to him first the one thing that seeks to sit on the throne of our hearts as a substitute for our Savior, mammon. My treasure, man, I want my heart to be where God is, and so it begins with positioning my treasure. You see, when we give financially to God, it's not merely a religious act of the hands, but a relational engagement of the heart. We are putting our external treasure into the hands of the God who wants our hearts, and so it leaves no room for mammon to master us. And this is why 2 Corinthians 9, 7 in the Passion Translation says to us, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Oh, well, you know, I love the Lord in relationship, but I don't believe in those religious things. The church just wants my money. Let me remind you that money is a heart issue and giving is a relational act of trust with Jesus. That's what it is. 
It's powerful. The core of a healthy relationship involves trust from one heart to another. Trust. Trust is the first step towards love. It's what our faith is all about. It's the core of our faith. It's, I trust you, God. And that's why Hebrews 11 verse 6 in the New Testament tells us it's impossible to please God without faith, without trust. It's at the core of relationship. And God's not interested in your religious acts, but relationship. See, faith is about serving God's purposes for His pleasure by following Him, even when it's to places you don't understand or desire to go. See, faith was never made to please you, and I often speak about this. It's made to please God because you serve His purposes, even if it costs you something or is painful to process. Psalm 23, 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil. I don't escape from it. I learn to endure by faith. In other words, God, I trust your heart when I can't trace your hand. I'm going through this hard time. Oh, I've lost so much. Oh, God, yeah, where were you? I had faith that you'd come through for me. And he's like, my child, I'm not delivering you from, I'm delivering you through. So though you walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, do not fear. Trust my heart when you can't trace my hand. You see, if my trust is in God and nothing else, there can be no substitute. There can be no anti trying to take his place in my heart. So, a portion of scripture that I recently read in which I felt like God gave me a revelation. From Psalm 9 verse 10, speaking about this trust in God. Like, God, can I trust you? Can I trust you not just with my family, not just with my feelings and my future? God, in those things so often you're just giving to me, but, but actually because of what you've given to me, I, I, can I trust you in my financial area? And, and, and Psalm 9 verse 10 says this, for everyone who knows your wonderful name keeps putting their trust in you. They can count on you for help no matter what. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I'll feel you for you with me. Because, because for everyone who knows your wonderful name keeps putting their trust in you, they can count on you for help no matter what. I don't know what you've lost or where you are when it comes to loss in whatever area of your life it might be. And very specifically for many people in this season, financial loss. But I believe the words of Joel chapter 2, 25 are prophetic for you today. The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. Psalm 9, 10, for everyone who knows your wonderful name keeps putting their trust in you. They can count on you for help no matter what. I want you to note this in the scripture. It says, trust is put in someone. It says, those that know your wonderful name keep putting their trust in you. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment and said, trust has to be placed in Jesus before it's produced in your heart. Trust has to be placed in Jesus before it's produced in your heart, Grant. It's put in. 
It's placed before it's produced. In other words, God doesn't need to earn your trust before you give it to Him. Well, God, I'm not sure about that because, you know, like when I did it by myself, it all worked out. And, you know, I don't know if I can now. But what we must remember is that trust is placed in who Jesus is before it's produced in your heart. It's a little bit like Matthew 6.21 that we spoke about, this kingdom principle. It says, for where your treasure is, where your actions are, there your heart will go. Sometimes the external action comes before the internal shift, before anything's produced internally it sometimes starts with an external positioning of something. And in this case, it's placing our trust in someone before trust is produced in our hearts around what lies ahead in our future. You don't position your treasure because God earned the trust of your heart. You position your treasure because you've placed your trust in a God who wants your heart. Then your heart catches up with the actions of your hand. We put our trust in God before it's produced in our hearts. But, dum, 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 isn't there always a but? How often are we waiting for trust in God to be produced in us by what He does for us first? instead of placing our trust in God so He can do what only He can do. How often are we like, okay, God, well, I'm not going to yet. I'm going to wait until I trust you a bit more. And then I will position my life, my world, the things I value most in your care. Now, in John's gospel, uh, in the New Testament, there's a moment where a large, hungry crowd of following Jesus, okay? And Jesus then begins speaking to his disciples as though they need to feed all the people. (laughs) You know, you're just hanging out and like everyone knows we're not gonna feed 5,000 people, but Jesus starts acting like we are. And then one of the disciples hears this and he's like, "Uh, whoa, and then his name is Philip and and he reacts to Jesus who's assuming they're gonna feed 5,000 people. And he says, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So, so what Philip is doing here is, is what we do as human beings. He's using maths and science, and, and he's concluding that the provision required would be impossible to meet. It's like <laughs> we would, uh, it would take half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to just have one little bite. Um, so, so maybe you are there right now. Maybe you're at the point where it's like, this doesn't make sense. There's no ways I can have breakthrough. You're like, there is no ways that debt can be, can be dealed with. There's no chance. I just messed up so bad with that. I don't know what it is. Maybe you're just going, I don't know how I'm going to be able to sustain the salary and keep my family afloat. You're going, one plus one is two, and it doesn't make sense. It would take, it would take more than half a year's wages to just have one bite, God. And then it goes on and says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many people? (laughs) 
So, so Andrew then perhaps sarcastically compares one small lunchbox with the magnitude of the number of mouths requiring to be fed. In other words, there's no chance that small amount of food in a boy's lunchbox could feed, feed 5,000. God, there's no chance my faithfulness in giving you this but that could really help me. It's going to give me this big breakthrough. I've already concluded. I don't know how I'm going to survive next week, next month, next year. I don't know how I'm going to make it. What with this, God? What, you suddenly going to open the doors and there's going to be provision? See, Andrew here had failed to understand that the little bit in the lunchbox was not seed to eat, but seed to sow. He was counting the amount of seed from a past harvest without being able to see the amount of harvest that could be produced from that little seed had it just been sown. He was thinking of the lack as the last bit of a harvest to spend instead of the beginning of a harvest with a little bit of seed that just needed to be sown. See, these disciples were focused on their financial position of lack when what really mattered was what was where their insufficient portion was placed. They were focused on, on the physical lack, their position with physical lack, when in fact they should have been focusing on where that portion needed to be placed. It's like we place our trust in God, like we put our treasure somewhere and our heart follows. And, and so we read further from John chapter 6, 7 verse 12. Here's where Jesus begins to speak. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. I wonder if that's why they were hungry. No one gets it. There was plenty of grass in that place. And now you've got 5,000 people that are really hungry. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. There was immeasurably more than they could have asked or imagined. So much that everyone ate as much as they wanted and there was still leftovers. Now we celebrate this miracle of God's supernatural provision. I can preach about this now. We're like, woo, yeah, wow, God did a miracle, but the next but. Imagine if the boy with the loaves and the fish felt he needed Jesus to prove he could feed 5,000 with it before he handed it over to God. If, If he wasn't willing to place his trust in Jesus before the trust was produced inside his heart. If he wasn't willing to let his treasure be positioned before his heart first felt like he wanted to. Imagine what this might have looked like had this young boy held on to his lunch, saying, sorry, Jesus, but I know these guys are hungry, but if I let this little bit go from my hand into yours, I'll also have nothing. 
it had to be placed by faith before it could be multiplied. And the young boy's trust in God's ability to provide would only then be produced. Imagine what happened in that young boy after the first sowing of the loaves and fish into the hands of God. Imagine next time he woke up in the morning, his mom made him more loaves and fish, and he's like, Flip, who am I giving this to, baby? He's like, man, Jesus, where do you want me to position this? Because you can multiply. I believe it. It's produced in my heart now, but it began by where I placed my trust and my treasure. It started with where I placed, not was what, what was produced on the inside of myself. It's the order that counts. God first, my treasure in the hand before a move in my heart. God gets the best first because we place our trust in Him before it's produced in us. And this is why Proverbs 3 verse 9 to 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. With the first fruits of all your provision, you honor God. Man, I'm taking the financial provision I have, and the first thing I do is place those loaves and fish. What? It's 10%? Yeah, okay, it might not be that much. God, you know how much I need, but you can feed 5,000. I'm going to place my trust in you and put my treasure where I know it needs to be, even if my heart is not there yet. And lo and behold, we see the miracle of his multiplication. And that's why Proverbs 3, 9, 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The enemy in this season right now is trying to convince you that you don't have a future because money tries to promise us what only God can give us. And we begin to believe in that. And many of us have experienced loss of that very provision. We're going, but that's the thing that will make me happy. But that's the thing that will give me security. But that's the thing that will give me identity. And God's saying, no, my child, do not be mastered by money on the throne of your heart. But let me be there first. Because as I believe was spoken earlier, this prophetic word of Joel chapter 2 verse 25 is for us. The Lord says, I I will give you back what you lost. Oh, well, God, I've lost everything. What, you want these loaves and fish? What are you going to do with that? My child, put your trust in me. When we do that, there is multiplication. As the rest of that verse goes on and says, when we honor God with our wealth and give him the first fruit, it says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The first step to seeing this prophetic word from Joel chapter 2 become something that's a reality in your life might mean by repositioning where you place your trust. Sometimes we need the provision of the 5,000, but we won't let go of the lunchbox because we think it's all we have. But what you keep will remain all you have. What you give to God becomes more than you had. You can keep your loaves and fish. Look after them carefully then. Believe that they can give you what only God can truly give. And will you place your trust in Him and allow what you have to become more than you had as He multiplies? so as we go today, I want to leave you with a verse and I 
pray this would be your truth in a season where many are feeling loss and fear in the area of finances. Hebrews 13, five to six. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Don't let mammon take the place on the throne of your heart. And be content with what you have. Be grateful. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence. You can say with confidence. Even in financial hardship. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I will not be afraid. For you are with me. I place my trust in you. Joel chapter 2, 25 becomes our reality. And the Lord gives back to us the things we thought we lost because we were ready to give our lunchbox away into the hands of Jesus. I pray that as you faithfully continue giving, that you would see the multiplication of wherever it is you need God to do a miracle in your life in this season.